Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with my co-host today, Annie Corrigan. And today we're going to talk about the Farm Bill and uh, some issues going on with it in Washington right now. Congress has been working to pass a new version of the Farm Bill, but there's been disagreement over the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or food stamps, which has traditionally been included in that legislation, but a new version of the bill separates SNAP, as it's called, from the Farm Bill legislation and was passed in the House. Uh, That version would make more eligibility requirements for the food assistance program and would make cuts of almost $40 billion. The current farm bill was extended because Congress could not reach a consensus on a new version, but that extension is due to expire on Monday. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have assembled four great guests with us in the studio, three in the studio, one on the phone. Uh, Robin Hobson is here. She's Farmer's Market Master for Bloomington Farmer's Market. Uh, Kosali Simon is a professor in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. Kyle Klein is with us in the studio. He's policy advisor for the National Government Relations of the Indiana Farm Bureau. And joining us by phone is Roman Keeney, an agricultural economics professor at Purdue University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, and you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. So welcome to the program. Thanks for all joining us today. Great to be here. Yeah, it's always interesting to try to figure out what's going on in Washington, and uh, so this is our chance today. Hopefully you'll <laughs> all help us. And I, I want to turn to Roman first, to Roman Keeney, who's uh, at Purdue. Um, Roman's an agricultural economics professor, and could you sort of uh, give us the the, I guess, the the 30,000-foot view of this farm bill and the issue that's before us right now? Well, yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of um, political heat around it. Um, It's almost served as like a minor league game or a warm-up session to bigger, um, you know, uh, across-the-aisle issues coming up on budget and and on the debt ceiling. So it's it's been interesting from that part, and you you see uh, a lot of people picking it up um, you know, the national press in ways that they may not have just to see how this sort of battle goes down. Um, you know, the, the one thing um, that we see, and I mostly work with Indiana farmers, is um, they're just ready to see something written down and call it law um, that applies to them uh, and let them start managing their operations without uh, the additional uncertainty of, of what's going on in Washington. Um, they deal with markets, international markets, local um, and national level markets, and they have to think about how's the price of soybeans compared to the price of corn, and what's the support rate. Um, and that's enough for them to deal with. Uh, when you consider they're also interacting with insurance agents and bankers, uh, they don't want to have to sit and try to check the political winds in Washington all the time and wonder: um, Are the decisions I make today going to affect something about the government program eligibility I have next year? They just want to know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and that's what I hear. Okay. Kyle, from the uh, Indiana Farm Bureau perspective? Yeah, so so I think uh, Roman summed it up very well. Uh, I think, you know, at this point after we've had extension after extension, our, our farmers are just, uh, are, you know, they're ready for – uh, a five-year farm bill, and that's what we've been advocating for, and we just need that certainty. And, and it's not just farmers, but it's it's the markets that need certainty. Roman uh, touched on that as well. Um, so, uh, you know, at this point, we, we just want to see something get done. We're, we're sort of tired of the political gridlock in Washington, as, as uh, many people are, and uh, we want to see movement on this so that uh, farmers' uh, businesses aren't interrupted and so that they can uh, plan adequately for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle and Roman, this uh, is this sort of a, a, a new fight that sort of uh, follows a lot of the other new fights about 
just, you know, exactly how things are getting done in Washington? I mean, it seems to me that the Farm Bill has been somewhat bipartisan for years. Yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead. Sorry, Kyle. Um, <laughs> go ahead. You know, the the coalition around Farm Bill, Farm Bill is is rural versus urban. It's not um it's not uh or it's built across that aisle, the rural to urban uh sort of constituencies, not uh Republican Democrat, uh conservative liberal. Um and and it's always been this case where the the sort of rural coalition gets together and 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 works with um, what works in the farm bill, which is the the food stamp or, or SNAP programs, food assistance, school lunch, with the the more urban interests, um, and you know the the budget hawks, which exist in both parties, uh, have come in um, and, and and sort of put a divide in that, uh, you know, and especially with you know it was about a year ago the first time I heard of splitting the the farm bill from food assistance, and and, and that's really what's thrown everything. Uh, into turmoil here. The farm side, the farm program side of the bill um, is just business as usual. This is a, a compromise that could be worked out without much trouble, you know, how we're going to subsidize farmers uh, and what kind of reductions are going to be met. Yeah, and I would, I would just, you know, add to that, um, you know, I think you could go back several years and there have been several groups that, that have been advocating for a split uh, of the farm bill. So taking out the nutrition side, taking out the ag programs. And, uh, you know, a big part of that is is also to draw attention to the to the fact that this bill uh, maybe it is uh, not correctly named a farm bill. It, you know, you have about eighty percent of the total budget is in the uh, food stamp and school nutrition programs, and twenty percent are uh, agriculture programs. And of course, agriculture programs uh, not only include the uh, have included the crop insurance and direct payments, but also conservation, environmental programs, uh, clean water programs, uh, energy, and and such. So. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's the nutrition part that you're talking about that's been sort of gumming up the works and and what's really been stopping the bill from getting passed. So, Coastly, I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, the history of food stamps, how that got involved in the farm bill in the first place. Sure, yes. I think it's a very interesting history how the two parts have come together. The Food Stamp Act of 1964 was the first time that Congress put in in. Uh, codified the other pilot programs that had been around at that time, and it was during the Lyndon Johnson presidency and the war on poverty, and many programs got started at that time that we now know have become this part of the social safety net that's available. For example, Head Start also started during that time. Um, it, It then joined together with the Farm Bill and has formed this bipartisan support Um, structure that has enabled it every five years to be reauthorized and renewed this way without too much of a problem. As we are seeing now, this is the first time that the two parts have been taken apart. And it's interesting to see, is this how it will continue? Will this lead to a separation of the two? Well, what do you think? Should they be separated? Separate farm spending, farm funding from nutrition funding? Well, as, as, as Kyle mentioned, there is this discrepancy in how much of the funding is one part versus the other, the 80% that's in the nutrition part. Um, it's its all USDA. So in, in some sense, because it's the agriculture department in charge of these programs, it makes sense in that sense to have the programs together. But I think many arguments can be made for these being very separate programs. Yeah, I think, you know, from our standpoint at at Indiana Farm Bureau and on behalf of our uh, 80,000 members, uh, farmers, um, you know, we – we think that it did agriculture a service by by splitting it up in the, during this debate and in the House in terms of shedding light on on the true funding and, and the true uh, budget scenario of the farm bill. Um, but when it comes to political realities and just simple numbers and and uh, as uh, uh, Dr. Simon mentioned that um, you know this urban rural coalition and the uh, sort of this this farm bill being this tried and true bipartisan bill that we can always pass. And you know when you talk about food and food security, uh, the the way that uh, 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 that is uh, the way that system is, is structured. Um, that's an issue that touches us all. So that that has been uh, something that 
has made this this bill a good bipartisan effort, and uh, you know our position is that let's uh, let's try to get this back together, uh, get the bill back together to conference uh, with the Senate's version, and um, let's try to pass a far, five-year farm bill. And time's a ticking. Yeah, right. <laughs> We've got days until it expires. Um, the uh, phone numbers, if you want to join the program today, eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, when, when I was getting ready for the program today, I found a, a piece done by Bill Moyers about the history of this as well. And, you know, history is a wonderful thing, and people, I think, sometimes forget. I certainly had no idea that uh, a lot of this does go back to just after the Depression when there were, uh, there was, there were food riots. Uh, there, there was a major issue of food security. Um, part of the reason Bill Moyers um, explains is <clears throat> that this was all put together is because farmers were st- still had food, but nobody could afford to buy it. Um, and people couldn't afford to, you know, the, the people who couldn't afford to buy the food, the government needed to figure out a way to get them some food. So this was all sort of put together in the in the 30s for the first time in some way. Uh, Roman, does that uh, sound familiar to you? You know, it, it does. Um and in fact, you know, there was a little bit of a stop start um, on on supporting um, farmers, and, and you know, I mean, the, the long tradition of um, farm programs in this country was government stocks, um, and, and and to some degree, this is how the marriage to food uh, assistance and and, and farm uh, subsidization, you know, w- was accomplished because. The government had stocks uh, of foodstuffs that they had to distribute, um, and that they they had to do something with uh, because they had taken them as part of a uh, income and price support program. Uh, we don't we're not in the business anymore, other than maybe some sh- sugar um, uh, of procuring. Uh, you know, the government doesn't store uh, grain or, or cheese or, or milk um, in quite the same way. It was just too expensive um, uh, to, to maintain, but. Uh, yeah, you know this. Um, uh, you know, it was it was dire times, and uh, and fire, farm income was was very volatile at the time, and, um, and certainly just like every other depression, everything markets were failing uh, across the board. There was no credit uh, to be had, uh, and so this this was a you know uh, a time specific kind of problem that sort of got indoctrinated. Um, and, and spread out to bigger issues, um, just like a lot of the sort of social safety net that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, when we talk about, you know, the, again, this bill and separating out the, the SNAP program or, or food stamps, I mean, that's, that's a program that uh, I don't have the numbers, but hopefully one of you does. I mean, how many people are, um, are benefited by this? Kosali? There are 47 million approximately. 47 million. Mm-hmm. And and this, if uh, I know there's a discussion that there would be cuts of almost forty billion dollars to to the program. Um, Robin Hobson's here with us from the farmers market, and I know you have a lot of a lot of people that uh, come to the market and use food stamps to buy fresh food. Correct. That's correct. Uh-huh. Uh, the SNAP program is enacted at the farmers market by a SNAP client coming to market and coming into the atrium at City Hall and exchanging value off their EBT card in exchange for market bucks, which are $3 vouchers, which they can in turn spend with participating vendors at the market. Mm-hmm. And we have been participating in the market bucks program since 2007. We were the first market in the state to pilot a program like this. Mm-hmm. And this season, we have sold about $13,500 worth of market bucks. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we have a doubling program. We received a grant from a private foundation this year that gave us $20,000 in order to match up to $18 um, someone's food stamp value that they draw off Mm -hmm. that market. Cosley, I want you to react to that because you're a health economist. I mean, a a program like that um, in terms of you know, public policy and helping uh, nutrition for people who are perhaps in poverty. Um, and how important is something like that? I think yeah. that the nutrition aspect is, is very important. If you think back to the era of the 60s and the situation of food access there, it was really a big concern was nutritional adequacy. Right now, when people think about the food stamp program and wonder what kind of items are being bought, they uh, react to the fact that the list is quite ex- uh, it, it, there aren't strong restrictions put on what could be purchased 
And the fact that soda is allowed has come up as time and time again a question of the nutritional value of the program. So I think to the extent that the the dollars flow towards purchases from farmers markets and products that people will think of as more nutritious, that makes the program fit more of what people think it was intended for. Mm-hmm. So I see that as a as a, a, a good move in the sense of making it tie back to nutrition. Mm-hmm. So Robin, you were putting a, a local face to food stamps. People going to the farmers market using SNAP at at our local farmer's market. I want to also mention someone on uh, the national level, the MacArthur Genius Grants announced earlier. And Kyle Abraham, who's a dancer choreographer, says he was on food stamps just three years ago. Now he's been awarded a MacArthur Genius Grant. Something to think about as we're thinking about cutting food stamps. Right. Okay, we have a phone call. So Stan's on the line. Stan? Hey, Stan, go ahead. Hi. It seems pretty evident that the uh, the move to separate the parts of the Farm Bill is aimed at reducing welfare uh, issues uh, uh, funding. But I, I wonder if the panel could discuss <clears throat> former Senator Luger's attempt a while back to cut into the millionaire agribusiness farmers. All right. Kyle or uh, Roman... Kyle? Kyle, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's fine, Roman. Um, Sure. So, you know, when you you look at the cost, the overall cost of the the farm bill, of course, the last last several years uh, during the the economic downturn, we've seen the SNAP program, uh, the growth extreme. And then actually the farm bill or the the ag programs have – the overall cost of the the administration of that program have gone down. Um, so I think that's why you're seeing so much attention on on the nutrition side to separate this and to try to make those make those deep cuts. Um, in terms of the uh, in terms of the direct payments, um, that is something that uh, especially here in the Midwest and here in Indiana specifically, our members are actually in favor of eliminating those uh, direct payments. Uh, we had a uh, the way that our organization works. We have volunteer boards in every single county made up of farmers, and and they help us uh, develop policy and and what we stand for as an organization. And uh, so recently, we had a state vote, and that and um, this is something that we will take to our our uh, national organization to uh, uh, to to try to uh, work that out and get that into our our policy book. But um, I think we understand, you know, the farming community understands that they need to do their part to uh, reduce the deficit and that direct payments were, were created in a time, in an era when they were uh, necessary. But those days are gone. And, um, you know, what's more important now these days is crop insurance. And that's what we are really uh, working for. Uh, we're working to, um, you know, get those – eliminate direct payments and take some of that savings and expand the crop insurance, actually. Mm-hmm. And we've seen extreme weather events over the last uh, last decade and, and uh, extreme drought last year, for example. So without those crop insurance uh, uh, programs, you know, some farmers would just simply be out of business this year. Um, so so there is an effort, uh, and even the agriculture community, we, we, we recognize that we need to cut the cost of the program. Could you, um, you know, for, for some listeners like myself who uh, aren't as knowledgeable about the Farm Bill, could you talk about direct, the direct payment program? What is it exactly? How much money flows to farmers and for what? Sure. So, so uh, historically, the, the direct payments that have been sort of a, a, a payment to farmers regardless of yield and regardless of income, uh, sort of a price support to, to make sure. And, and the, the, really the goal is to uh, ensure affordable, affordable food, uh, secure food for, for our country, uh, regardless of, of what's going on and what events are happening around us. Um, those payments are historically uh, disproportionate based on regions. So um, if you talk to farmers in the southern, in the southern states uh, that grow cotton, peanuts, uh, they're very much uh, for direct payments still because they uh, – uh, as well as increased crop insurance um, – the crops they grow are, are it's it's inherently more risky than some of the crops we're growing here in the Midwest, and um, so they they view these things a little bit differently than than we do. Mm-hmm. So you're basically saying Indiana farmers are saying, um, you know, we can we can make this on our own without the direct payments as long as we have a, a strong crop insurance program. That's right. We just need an expanded crop insurance program, do away with direct payments, and uh, that's that's our position at at, uh, at Indiana Farm Bureau and. Um, 
we, you know, having that risk management tool, the best one, which is crop insurance, and only using it, of course, in those situations where you have extreme drought or you have uh, flooding uh, one year, um, uh, just uh, being able to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of our panelists might want to respond to that, but we have a phone call, so we're going to go to Sue from Bloomington. Sue? Hi. I'm just curious. The Farmville has traditionally supported what I would call kind of big farm crops, like you mentioned. You know, it's got sugar bees, corn, soybeans, peanuts. What is it doing or where is the direction to support community-supported agriculture? Because they today cannot receive things like hail insurance, and I've known some personally that have gone bankrupt because they're not really included in the agriculture community. What are we doing as we focus on nutrition to really expand our view of agricultural products? Good question. Uh, who wants to handle that? I can speak to that. All right. Uh, your question involved uh, community-supported agriculture. Community-supported agriculture shares can be purchased through the farmer's market, directly through the farmer, and you can use SNAP benefits to do so, to pay down that upfront money that the farmer uses to produce the food for a community-supported agriculture share. So that's part of what, the, what's, what policy will allow, right? That's correct. Okay. Anybody else? But today, it's not covered under the farm bill. There's no crop insurance. There's no support for developing out when we talk about nutrition, local nutrition. There's really no support for that in the farm bill. You know, and I'm I'm doing right now. I'm furiously Google searching this to try to come up with some information for you. I think it's telling that I haven't come up with anything yet. You might be on to something. Roman, do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's just the case if there's no. Uh, you know, this is this is federal uh, federal policy, right? Um, and so, if there's not a significant mass or, or a lobbying group behind it, uh, it doesn't get attention. Um, I have a little bit of experience with this. Um, we have a region of a fairly large mint uh, growers in uh, Northwest Indiana, uh, and I know that you know they spent 15 years as a sort of a collective. Um, just trying to work with uh, USDA's risk management agency to get a crop insurance product for themselves. Uh, they were basically having to write contracts with um, the companies they knew to mitigate their risk, and they couldn't do it um, in the insurance market the way they wanted to. And so they've had a pilot program for about five years. But um, you know, without some of that kind of weight behind it, um, it just you know, it, things like this just doesn't raise. Um, raise any eyebrows in, in Washington. It's, it's an issue because there are all kinds of local issues. And, and, and when we talk about um, sort of abuses in the food stamp program or abuses in farm subsidies, you know, where, where somebody's super wealthy and, and still they're getting a lot of taxpayer dollars, this is all a product of writing federal-level policy for what's really this sort of local regional thing that has local regional character to the, uh, the economics of it. All right. Th- hey, Sue, thanks a lot for your question. We yeah. we appreciate it. And it sounds like you've got some lobbying to do for <laughs> some people. Uh, okay. We're, we're going to – I just want to read this tweet that we got from Jessica. It says, uh, my concern with the Farm Bill is animal protection and ethical treatment. Anybody have any uh, reaction? Is there anything in the Farm Bill that uh, addresses animal protection and ethical treatment? Is that typically just left out of the Farm Bill? Well, I, I think um, – you know, the first place to start is the, is the FDA, who, who uh, regulates um, uh, you know regulates the, the type of activity. So I think we, you know we have laws on the books that that, that do uh, address that uh, in, in terms of uh, antibiotics and things like that. But um, okay, well, there's a, there was a little bit of uh, I was actually out of the country following this. Um, so, so states um, is where uh, most of the action is on. Um, on animal welfare and animal well-being uh, when they're being raised for food. And, and uh, you know, it, it rose to the level of farm bill discussion through some of the, the massive amendments that, that appeared on the House version of the bill um, and whether certain states had to recognize other states' um, requirements for, you know, the treatment of, of laying hens and that kind of thing. Um, but that stuff, that stuff is all kind of flown by as we've tried to actually make some progress getting the bill done. It was more for bringing attention to to the issue than actually trying to get new policy. I mean, I think that kind of thing is a ways off at the national level. Uh, 
Okay, we're going to have to take a short break. We're talking about um, the Farm Bill and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or food stamps, and the uh, debate about it in Washington. So if you want to join the program, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area, or you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. For Heaton. All right. Welcome back to Noon Edition. We're having a rousing discussion during the break, so we're going to continue that. After the the break here, we have uh, four guests with us. We're talking about the Farm Bill, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the possibility of separating that from the Farm Bill. Uh, and our guests are Kosali Simon, professor of, in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University, Kyle Klein, policy advisor for national government relations, Indiana Farm Bureau, Robin Hobson, Farmer's Market Master, Bloomington Farmer's Market, and Roman Keeney, Agricultural Economics Professor at Purdue University. Um, Annie Corrigan is here with me, Bob mm-hmm. Zaltzberg, and you can call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You know, Robin, I want to get you involved in this uh, a little bit more. We're talking about possible cuts to SNAP. Farmers Market takes SNAP benefits in a big way. Are you looking ahead to this being a possibility? How will this affect you guys at the market? Will it? Well, when we started taking a look at other programs in other states um, that doubled market bucks, we found that after their programs had expired or the funding ran out, that they were able to retain shoppers that were brought in for the doubling, enticed by those extra dollars they could spend, and found that in time, they stuck with coming to the farmer's market. So I'm kind of looking at our doubling program right now as establishing good nutrition habits among people who have less access to good, fresh, healthy foods that they are now getting through the farmer's market. I think Kosali had mentioned before SNAP benefits being used for foods that were not quite so wholesome. With SNAP benefits at market, you can purchase fruits and vegetables, breads and cereals, meats and poultries, dairy products, jams and sauces, maple syrup, baked goods and seeds, and fruit and vegetable-producing plants. So we're hoping through all of these efforts to establish good nutrition and buying habits. And that money stays in the local economy, unlike, you know, if you buy that two liter of Coca-Cola, that money is not going to stay in South Central Indiana. Well, and it's, this is a little far, maybe far afield from, from the main topic at hand, but I think the whole idea of people having access to, to healthful foods, nutritious foods, uh, is something that, that can help sort of stop the whole cycle of of poverty when you talk about health care needs and health costs and all those kinds of things. So, so. At the same time, uh, maybe, Kyle, you can jump in on this, too. So we're talking a lot about uh, commodity farmers, people who grow corn and soybeans. That's not grown for food for the most part. It's going to be fed to animals, turned into biofuels. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, for people who, co- who are concerned about getting food on the table, you know, why does the farm bill matter to them it's, if it's serving these commodity farmers for the most part? 
Yeah, so I, I think you're right. I mean, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the uh, a lot of the commodities go towards towards feed and for livestock, and of course, you know, people eat meat, so so they they do uh, benefit from that. Uh, and then, of course, it re- in renewable energy and biofuels, but it's also uh, shows up in a lot of products. I think it would be uh, it's almost mind-boggling how many different food products that that these commodities actually end up in. So. Um, I think it's 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 important because it does touch so many different products and so many different uh, facets of our of our life as a society. I think uh, uh, it, it, a farm bill is critical in that in that the uh, you know from from both the domestic as well as an international trade uh, uh, standpoint, uh, it, it's 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 critical and touches all of us. You know, it's an interesting way to think about this too. So we're talking about how these products end up in so much of the foods that we have on the shelves additives that go into processed foods. On the flip side, we're talking about how do we get people to eat more nutritious foods? We have to get people who are on stamp, snap benefits to eat more fruits and veggies. But we're subsidizing corn and soybeans to go into processed food. I'm just I'm seeing this as a very interesting dichotomy. If anyone wants to comment that on that or call in with your comment, we'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. The number is 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We have a caller question who a uh, caller says, uh, do any of the panelists know about the direct payment accounts that were secret and no one could find? And did it change in the Luger version of the bill? Uh, that's the question. Anybody Whoa. have an answer to any of that? Roman? Roman? Uh, no, I don't know about the secret uh, direct payments. Oh. Sorry. All right. All right. We're just uh, reading the question. Okay. All right. And if you have other comments, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're also tweeting live right now. You can connect with us at Noon Edition if you're on Twitter. Live chat on the website as well. Uh, so, Robin, I'm just I'm really curious to hear more about this. Are you? Did you see an increase in SNAP users when you doubled the program, doubled the, the SNAP dollars? Yes, after just a few short weeks of getting the word out. Um, at market, we started experiencing more and more redemptions of the market bucks. Once they go to the farmer, the farmer then redeems them with the market staff. And we have seen a great increase. Do you see any sort of stigma associated with using SNAP at the farmer's market? People are embarrassed. No, you're shaking your head. That's great. I think not. I think that people are genuinely so excited to have access to farmer's market goods and to get the free money. You can actually double your market bucks once per market day per household. So in the summer when there's a Saturday market and a Tuesday market, people can do that twice a week should their benefit allowance uh, allow that. And I think that the farmers are very open. I don't think anyone is treated any differently for identifying themselves as a SNAP user at market. Coastally, this might be a good time to talk about the people mostly who use SNAPs who benefit the most from this program. Can you speak to that? There's questions about both who's benefiting as well as who's going to be hurt by the cuts. So I might maybe please take that first part first because that's the, the question is what's in this bill and how's it going to affect mm-hmm. people? Because it's not an across-the-board cut. It's a directed cut that targets certain populations. So the population most affected are the able-bodied adults without dependents, the ABODs as they're called in the, in the legislation. This is the um, continuation of policy that started during welfare reform in the 1990s under President Clinton that put into place work requirements and time limits for the receipt of assistance. During Prowora in 1996, there was an amendment made to change the food stamp program so that those people who are between 18 and 50 and without dependent children under 18, they would have to participate in work training programs or show that they're working at least 20 hours a week in order to receive assistance for more than three months out of three years. So if they couldn't show that they were doing either of those, there there was a time limit on how much they would receive it. However, that law in the 90s allowed states to ask for waivers, and states did. So it ended up that there were many people who were longtime receivers of SNAP benefits who were without dependents and who were not engaging in these work-related activities. Now, this law puts that in, it makes that mandatory. So there will be 1.7 million adults who will lose benefits, it's estimated, as a result of that provision. So that, that becomes one of the main main parts. There are other provisions. The the law, which is in front of me here, 112 pages of it, <laughs> notes, for example, there'll be cuts in um, use of 
benefits by people who have received lottery winnings. There'll be drug testing. There will be more um, more policing of retailer trafficking, Section 129 of the law. But in all, it's estimated about 3.8 million will not get benefits as a result of the cuts and that there are others who would also get lower amounts. I should also mention there is another cut that is happening in the food stamp program that is separate from what's in this bill, and that's as a result of the Recovery Act, the American ARRA Act, the Recovery Act in 2009, gave a temporary boost to the amount people receive across the board in food stamps on the order of about $30 for a month for a family of three. This is a boost up in the amount they would otherwise receive, and that was from 2009 to 2013. That's scheduled to end November 2013. That's an automatic reduction. So when the cuts are are coming in, in terms of how people will feel it, regardless of which law it's coming from, it it will feel like a a more substantial cut because of the two effects happening together. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to mention that one of the the leaders in trying to separate these two things was uh, Marlon Stutzman, who's a representative from Indiana, uh, a Republican from Indiana, who said, you know, the bill eliminates loopholes, ensures work requirements, and puts us on a fiscally responsible path. In the real world, we measure success by results. It's time for Washington to measure success by how many families are lifted out of poverty and helped back on their feet, not by how much Washington bureaucrats spend year after year. So I wanted to, to read uh, Representative Stutzman's quote. We have two uh, representatives uh, or two people from Indiana who are very involved in in policy. We have more than two, but but I'm thinking about Kyle and Roman, who must uh, have probably chatted with the representative, or at least are quite aware of his position on this. And I wanted to get your reaction to you know. Yeah, what, yeah. Um, I did I did radio uh, about a year ago with uh, Representative Stutzman, where he um, sprang this on me um, at the time, uh, and and. and my, my position from a year ago hasn't changed. Um, if if we effectively can split these up through a mechanism that would, um, you know, terminate or end the authority of the nutrition title three years from now and the, the, the farm program title four years from now, some way split these up. Uh, and I think, I think uh, having talked to uh, the president of Indiana Farm Bureau and other people like that, I mean, this, we see this as sort of the last farm bill if that, that is accomplished. And you know, for, for for some people, that that is the the goal here. Um, if we think back to direct payments and when they started, and and Kyle reviewed those really well, and and what they've sort of accomplished for us, they were not they were not um, delivered to farmers initially as a ongoing payment. They were delivered as a payment to transition them out of government checks. Um, for, for the most part, uh, they were scheduled to be reduced, and, um, and you know, so some of the the alternatives that we're considering here at Purdue, you know, we're in the education business, so we we sit around and think about things that even, you know, that, that may not have any political reality to them. Um, is what happens if you eliminate direct payments and don't replace it with anything? Because one of the things we are seeing is that even though we get uh, potential savings, right, by, by eliminating direct payments now and, and proposing some alternative uh, program. Um, you know, if, I don't know if they're calling it shallow loss these days or not, but uh, direct payments will be replaced by some mechanism that, that increases as farm income drops. Um, the budget exposure actually goes up, and there are no safeguards for the budget written into the farm bill. There's, there's nothing that would stop um, us from actually spending more over the next five years despite the fact that we'll sign a, a bill into law if, if what's being proposed uh, is enacted that, that shows budget savings against some projection. Um, just like the, uh, the nutrition title from five years ago was not projected to spend anywhere close to what it's spending today. Um, you know, nobody, nobody had this built into their baseline that we were going to uh, be sitting around the bottom of a, of a recession uh, for so long and so many people were going to become eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to to just mention, you know, when I looked at your bio before coming on today that, uh, you know, you're an agricultural economics professor at Purdue, but you grew up on a farm in Kentucky. That's correct. Correct. So how does that sort of shape your your view of all these farm policies? Um, very much so. So I, I didn't just grow up on a farm in Kentucky. I grew up on a, on a livestock, livestock and tobacco farm. So tobacco 
is was at the time the the most government influenced uh, crop going um, in my county. Growing up, there were a certain amount of uh, pounds that could be sold. They were divided up among growers. Um, if you went over your pounds, you had to go find somebody that was under their pounds and buy their market quota. And so that's basically command and control economics of tobacco. On the other side, we were raising uh, Angus cattle. Um, there's not much uh, protection for the cattle grower out there um, trying to raise cattle on pasture, um, and you're subject to the corn market um, when you're trying to feed out uh, cattle. So, yeah, you know, I, I got interested in studying agriculture and not working in the tobacco field really early on and kind of <laughs> led me uh, to where I'm at today. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at uh, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Roman, you just sort of floated it out there that Maybe this could be the last farm bill that we see. And, and the panelists in the studio sort of went, oh, oh, mm-hmm. and your uh, eyes lit up a little bit. We actually have a follow-up question from Jimmy. He tweeted this to us. If SNAP is separated from the farm bill, what are the chances of its continued funding? Coastally, this might be a topic for you. I, as, as Kyle and others have mentioned about the, the 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 history of how this bill has in the past undergone the five-year reauthorization without trouble because of the bipartisan support for it. I think that this is going to be a question of where are are there enough votes going to come for each of them separately. That's what we are seeing right now happening in in the Senate. The reason for bringing these two bills back together is that the Senate has indicated they do not wish to consider a bill that is separate. Maybe Kyle or Roman might add to that on the farm side. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's exactly right, and that's why we've been uh, again advocating as, as an organization on behalf of our members uh, to keep them together. Just really looking at the political realities of the of the situation, and and uh, there were some positives of of the debate of splitting it, but um, y- you know. We first have to get these together, and hopefully there's a House vote today when uh, the, the House can vote to put them back together and, and assign conferees to do that. Um, it's going to be difficult, though, because they're calling for $40 billion in cuts to the SNAP program, and the Senate's calling for about $4 billion uh, cuts. So uh, that is a huge gap to reconcile. Um, so that's, uh, it's, it's going to be quite challenging uh, moving this, this forward. I remember the days when $4 billion sounded like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder if we could look ahead, worst-case scenario – nothing happens before the extension expires, what's that going to look like for farmers? Roman, do you want to... Oh, sure. Um, well, it'll, it, it, it's not... Um, it, it, we, we went through this last year. We didn't get... Um, and we went without a farm bill, and, and I ran around giving a presentation called The Year Without a Farm Bill, and what would it look like? And um, it was It was fun and interesting to do, but the fact is we have the crop year covered, okay, and so with the exception of some winter wheat crop that could go in the ground, um, there's not a lot of uncertainty that exists today that is going to be magnified for farmers um, starting on October 2nd. Um, and so, so we have time, um, you know, this, this October 1st deadline is a nice one and it gets attention to the, to the issue. Um, but we ran till January 3rd um, last year without having a, a farm bill extension. And so, so th- there's time. Uh, there may not be time to go into a, a drawn-out uh, reform process, but um, you would hope that the two years of work that's been done um, has things a little closer together, and the fact is it does on the farm side. The, you know, the, the differences in the uh, farm bill, the, the commodity side programs are just – um, you know that they will be worked out. They'll be fine. It's, it's this this gap between four billion and forty billion, and how that's going to be dealt with through two di- very different minded bodies um, uh, of, of legislature that's going to set things. And to be clear, food stamp assistance goes through the end of the year as well. So um, starting on October second, um, the program doesn't end. It's uh, authorized in the appropriation. We have a phone call. We're going to go to that next, and this is Drew from Columbus. Drew. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Sure. My observation is this, that the uh, big agriculture bills of the past tended to incorporate both subsidies for farmers and what we now call the SNAP program. 
this was essentially a matter of legislative log rolling to put together coalitions of both urban and rural senators and representatives to get these big bills passed. The long-term result, though, has been to render ever greater numbers of our fellow citizens dependent on the government, both farmers and those who were receiving the food benefits. It is the moral imperative of our society to render fewer people dependent on government rather than more. The move to split these two aspects of the bill apart is the right way to address it. I have to say I do hope that this is our last farm bill ever. As long as any of these subsidies remain in place, there will be people who clamor to keep them in place. The only only way to end them is to end them. All businesses have risks. All businesses have to learn how to manage their risks. Farmers are no different. Drew, I have a question, just a follow-up question. I mean, so if this is the last farm bill, how would you see this going forward? These two things are split. You know, would you see, uh, you know, a food stamp program surviving at some level and farm subsidies surviving or just get rid of both sides or one side? I certainly think that farm subsidies have often gone to the people for whom the public would not have intended them. Uh, The idea that we're saving the small farm with these big federal government programs is simply inaccurate. A lot of very wealthy people have actually benefited from farm subsidies. I think the public as a whole, if they understood that, would be opposed to this program, and I think it should end. As far as, as, far as SNAP goes, uh, there are all sorts of detailed proposals about how to help people who truly are, are destitute with regard to food. And, uh, you know, people can sit around in committees and legislative bodies and debate those details to no end. I would say in general terms, the better choice is to bring decision-making to the lowest level of society possible. Uh, This is called subsidiarity. Uh, Let's bring the decisions closer to where uh, the people are, closer to where our neighbors are whom we know and whom we know to be struggling or not struggling. Let communities make the best decisions for themselves and not do everything from the top down government and particularly federal government approach. All right. Thanks, Drew. We're going to get some reaction from the studio here. Yeah, Kyle, please. Sure. So, so I appreciate the comments. You know, it, I guess we'll deal with the agriculture side first and, and the farm, uh, you know, the farm subsidies. And, you know, when, when I hear comments like that, I, I, I one thing I like to remind some of our both farmers and, and the general community is um, – uh, and our memories aren't so short that we don't forget about the drought last year that, that just swept across this nation. And, uh, you know, there are many farms that, that simply could not make it if, if, if we have uh, those natural disaster events like that and, and we're not able to rebound from that and have some kind of uh, crop insurance, which is, again, our, for us the biggest risk management tool we have as, as farmers – um, then uh, those producers, you know, there could be a situation where you have two, two or three years of, of, uh, of disaster and they wouldn't be able to rebound. And, and what does that mean for the economy? Well, that means uh, less in production and, and food prices go up. So um, I think, there, you know, all of these issues are, are directly linked. Um, we, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, farmers as a community agree that we need to do uh, our part to, to uh, you know, make the cuts and reduce the, the amount uh, that, that we spend as a federal government, but um, but it's still a critical program and, and very important to ensure food security across the, the country. Okay, Roman, Kosali, Robin, any other reactions? What do you think about the idea of bringing decisions about food security and getting people who need the food, uh, making those decisions closer to the people, not so top-down as Drew was just saying? What do you, what do you guys think about that? Okay, I'll go ahead. I, mean, I already said yeah, something uh, similar to that, and um, but it, you know, it, the fact is um, we make national level policy in Washington, and um, we've we've experimented with um, on the rural development side uh, to take uh, uh, one stab at, at an example um, uh, on rural development to block grant things out and then let states or municipalities compete uh, on very specific proposals. And uh, there's an article in, I think, the New York Times from three or four years ago about how the Atlantic City Boardwalk uh, competed and won one of these rural development grants. Um, 
And, and so it's it's tough. I mean, the problem is you're going to, as an economist, we tend to disfavor um, all subsidies, all support, uh, and, and let markets sort of play out. And then when we find market imperfections, come in and think about what the correct redress is. Um, but there's always going to be unintended consequences at any policy level, uh, for sure. Okay. Any other last thoughts on that? Okay. So um, I want to go back sort of to the beginning because it sounds like um, I think what Roman said when we first started this program is that what's playing out in, uh, in Washington on the farm bill is something that's being played out on a whole bunch of different issues. It's In a lot of ways, it's, it's uh, two different groups of lawmakers, Republicans and and Democrats, and I know you've talked about rural, rural and urban coalitions on the farm bill typically, but uh, you have Republicans and Democrats who have very different viewpoints of how we ought to be operating the government today, and this seems to be one other flashpoint. Am I correct on that, Roman? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it, it, like I said before, I think it's just the, the warm-up game to, the, to the, the bigger issues, and I think because the other ones outweigh it so much, we're going to see the farm bill uh, get a little bit of attention, little flashes of attention here or there, and then keep getting pushed aside until uh, we get much closer to the real deadline of January 1st. Mm-hmm. Kosali, we got one minute. Last thoughts? That, that this reflects says, you know, <laughs> what's going on in healthcare too. It's, uh-huh. I think there are going to be these fundamental disagreements about the design of assistance programs and of, of all kinds to all, all constituents. Mm-hmm. And Robin, in 30 seconds, just again, describe for uh, our listeners, they come to the market, they can use SNAP benefits. People can exchange the value from their SNAP benefit card for $3 coupons that mm-hmm. they can then spend with their local farmer to acquire the freshest and most local food available. They can stimulate and uh, strengthen their food security by doing that, creating a relationship with a farmer who grows their food. And uh, and you can get okay. more information at the market if people are right. interested in this. That's okay. correct. All right. We're out of time. I want to thank our guests today. You've all been great. Kosali Simon, Robin Hobson, Kyle Klein, and Roman Keeney. For uh, Annie Corrigan, producers Gretchen Frazier and Emily Wright, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu.